Welcome to Living Proof, the podcast series of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. We're glad you could join us today. The series Living Proof examines social work research and practice that makes a difference in people's lives. I'm your host, Adjua Robinson, and I'd like to take a moment to address you, our regular listeners. We know you have enjoyed our podcasts, as evidenced by the more than 250,000 downloads to date. Thanks to all of you. We'd like to know what value you have found in the podcast. We'd like to hear from all of you, practitioners, researchers, students, but especially our listeners who are social work educators. How are you using the podcast in your classrooms? Just go to our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu forward slash podcasts and click on the Contact Us tab. Again, thanks for listening, and we look forward to hearing from you. What is home? What does it mean to be safe and comfortable in who you are in a place or culture that doesn't always understand you? Aster Tekla is a doctoral candidate in social welfare at the University of Washington School of Social Work. Her research interests include international social work, displacement and globalization, and Horn of Africa youth. She's conducted research on the social, cultural, and traditional factors affecting youth in her native Eritrea and the U.S. In this podcast, Ms. Tekla discusses her current research on the experiences of immigrant youth participating in youth programs. She examines the complexities of identity formation among Horn of Africa immigrant youth and how those youth create place and space in a larger social cultural structure that often labels difference as misfitness. Dr. Laura Lewis, Director of Field Education at the University at Buffalo School of Social Work, spoke with Ms. Tekla by telephone. Hi, this is Laura from UB School of Social Work. We're here today with Aster Tekla. Aster's research is entitled, Where is Home? Horn of Africa Youth Discourse and the Politics of Displaced Youth. Aster, welcome. Thank you. I'm very interested to get started on our discussion about your work, but first I have to ask you, your research is qualitative in nature, and my understanding is that your hope is to understand better the lived experience of Horn of Africa youth. Can you tell me what brought you to this particular topic? My interest is basically with Horn of Africa youth in the Pacific Northwest. And I'm interested about youth from this particular region because I am from the Horn of Africa. And the Horn of Africa includes big countries in East Africa, starting from the Sudan, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Somalia, and Djibouti. So... Coming from Eritrea, I am part of this group, which makes me more interested in that. And two, it's uh, the increasing number of immigrants from this region to the U.S., which drives me to know more about their experiences in the U.S. 
particularly to better understand what underlies their migration process in the first place because there are historically and politically significant processes that underlie their migration, which is related to the strategic location of the Horn of Africa and the involvement of superpowers since the World War II, mainly the U.S. and the ex-Soviet Union. So these are some of the major points that drive me to work with the Horn of Africa youth. When you say, where is home, what does home mean? My research is more focused on culture, difference, and the complexities of identity formation. And the common understanding of home is a space of safety and comfort. And in the age of 21st century, where there is rapid movement of information, I believe that it's very hard to draw a fixed border of a certain culture. I put it in an inverted inverted commas to show that is there any way that we can definitely say this is my home, this is my space, when people are always in a continuous movement? I see. And so far in your work, are you finding that the question of home is experienced differently by the youth that you're interviewing? Yes. And can you say a little bit more about that? I I noticed you also talk about displaced youth, and I wonder if you might elaborate on how you interpret that phrase, displaced youth. One way of looking at it is that when we talk about displaced youth, the picture that comes to mind is the youth who are in a new location physically and who may not fit in a certain culture of the host society. While the way I frame culture is more fluid and open, and since these kids have already been influenced by so-called globalized culture, my understanding is that they might be physically displaced, but they are not the type of youth that are labeled or categorized as unfit, foreigners, foreigners or aliens, especially in the school settings. Can you say a little bit more about that, Aster? In the school settings, if they're not necessarily considering this youth as displaced, does that create problems for the youth potentially? Oh, yes, because there is a dominant way of representations of Horn of Africa youth that portray them as at risk because they cannot understand the culture with the assumption that they need to catch up so that they can fit and integrate in the whole society, which ultimately labels them as deviant, right? So my question is, Are they really at risk or is it that the host society is not making every effort to understand this youth in their own terms? Interesting. So we're very quick sometimes to label them as at risk. Yes. So in thinking about investigating this, how did you frame your research? What were your research questions? My research questions focus on As I told you before, my focus is on culture, difference, and identity formation. So 
the research questions focus more on language as culture. And I try to look at what language the youth use when they talk about their experiences in youth programs. And I focus on language because language always has a political significance. And by understanding the political nature of what they say or of their language, it enables us to recognize how particular versions about the migrant youth appear to be accepted while others are denied. And I wonder, Aster, I mean, this is fascinating. Can you give us an example of some of the language that's used and the meaning that you are able to extract from that? One of the common expressions that the youth were using in the focus groups that I conducted was how, for instance, the school categorizes them as black slash African-American. They don't specifically talk about race and racism. I didn't even hear those words. But when they say that I'm not black, I'm African, then that, tell you, that tells you that there is something wrong with how the school is dealing with these kids. So they want to reorient the school administration by saying that, could you please call me as an African or use my country's name or my ethnic identity instead of categorizing me as black slash African-American. This is one of the common examples that I can talk about. That's very interesting. So in a sense, and perhaps not consciously, but school personnel could be denying youth their real identity. It's an oversimplification to say that they're black. And the youth experience it potentially that way. They want to be recognized for who they are. Yes, because these kids have never been told that they are black while they were in Africa, right? So coming here and knowing the stigmatized representation of African-Americans in this country and the stereotypes attached to it, of course, these kids won't like to be called black, right? That makes sense. And we do have what seems to be a very dichotomous way of defining people in our culture. You're black or you're white. And that doesn't take into account the diversity of people's experience here. And perhaps your research is opening up a dialogue about how that doesn't certainly represent the reality of Horn of Africa youth. It potentially doesn't represent the reality of many of our own youth, would you say? Yes, which is why examining the significance and implications of discourses that we that we produce institutions produce helps to reveal how the youth or any other group is represented in the everyday conversation dominant conversation and that engages us into political critique of power and culture in any context which i believe would possibly help us move beyond any binary structuring of our social issues. Now, Aster, you mentioned that you used focus groups as part of your methodology. You also used in-depth interviews. What were the other methods that you utilized? Quite a range. Yeah, I was already involved with the youth programs with the, some of the agencies here. And... The participant observation was a very common way of looking at this youth in several of their activities. 
how they engage with each other, with their program staff, their concentration on the, what they talk about, what interests them. That gives me a good context to situate everything they say about their experiences in the youth programs. Then I had focus groups, three focus groups from three agencies that serve Horn of Africa youth. And I had age 14 to 18 years old, which were mostly high school students. They were 30 youth in total. 11 of them were males and 19 females. Most of them had over two and a half years experience in the youth programs. And these were second generation youth who were born and raised in the U.S. But there were also some which are referred as 1.5 generation. These are youth who come at an early age with their parents. And they've spent most of their years here in the U.S. So I find that fascinating that you did participant observation. That a somewhat unique approach in social work, would you say? It brings to my mind anthropology, for example, and opens up the possibility, I think, of understanding at a much deeper level what the youth experience might be. But would you say that's a unique approach in social work? I would say it is unique because we don't find many social workers using this approach. For me, it's not only a deeper level of understanding of people's people's experiences, but also it allows you to address complex processes involved in people's experiences. It moves us into exploring not only what is out there, but also what were the conditions that led for such an experiences that people or this youth have to go through. And that understanding of complexities opens up for more open and flexible frameworks. And certainly a more nuanced understanding. Oh, yeah. So can you tell me what are some of the themes that you were able to uncover? Yes, one of the themes, as I have already indicated, is the, I call it, what's in origin. Because these youth feel very proud of their tradition and their cultural heritage of their history. They claim for and their traditional culture. At the same time, they don't completely ignore their parents' values. But you can see that, uh, I call it, they recycle it. They listen to what their parents have to say about their tradition and culture and history. But at the same time, you see them as critiquing it. So they're trying to balance both. So they'll say, yes, I'm African. Yes, I'm Ethiopian or Eritrean, and I'm proud of my culture. But at the same time, I'm also American. They're looking for an equal legitimacy for both identities. And I call it what's in origin because I see this youth, most of the youth have never even been to Africa. It's only through the narration of their parents that they are claiming that they have an origin, right? So what is it that is driving them to look for this origin? And where would that home be for them? So what I saw is that there is isolation, exclusion, that makes them feel a space of comfort. And that space of comfort is 
what they hear from their parents about certain culture and history that they want to associate with. But at the same time, they have so many cultural influences here that some they embrace and some they reject. And still, they try to balance all these complexities. So I call it what's in origin. Are there commonalities across the youth? And certainly in the struggles that you're talking about, do you find, you, you mentioned the term space of comfort. Is that different across each of the youth? Or do they each find their own niche, their own balance between their cultural identity and the way they're perceived in society? I haven't tried to compare across groups so far because I was looking off on the language. But it's an interesting topic that I plan to write about out of the data that I have because they have different historical background. They have different processes of migration, right? And this will, of course, come up with something. And I hope I will look at that in the future. I see. Well, it's a fascinating topic, Aster. I wonder if there's any other part of your research that you would like to share, something that was surprising to you that you found, or something that really stands out in your mind as, as significant. One of the themes that I came about in our discussion was the use of Christianity as resistance, which I found to be very interesting because there were some youth who were attending youth programs that are church-affiliated. So they were upholding traditional faith-based and ethnic-based practices. And these are not the modern Christian movement, but the Coptic Orthodox, which is faith that is practiced by most Eritreans and Ethiopians. And I found that practice as a very interesting way of resisting Western culture that seems to be inviting the youth as consumers, but also detracts them, right, as strangers, as foreigners. And they were trying to use these religion-based practices to reinforce their culture. And I saw an interesting intersection of religion into this politics of identity and culture. What is your hypothesis about that, Aster? Do you think that there's a reason they were attracted to that faith? Was it its availability? Was it that they found similarities between their own backgrounds and the other people who attended those churches? I think it's more a way of reacting to their social environment. At least that's how it was portrayed, because they were comparing themselves and their experiences in these faith-based programs with their friends from school or from the neighborhood who don't go to church, who don't practice their religion, and how that relates to their traditional culture and protects them from dangers that are out there in the neighborhood or in the school. So it's a way of using it as a buffer. A place of acceptance there for them. Yes. I see. Well, thank you very much, Aster. I'm certainly leaving today with a more nuanced idea about Horn of Africa youth, and I will certainly be following your research. Thank you for engaging in this discussion. 
I appreciate your time and good luck with your future work. Thank you. You've been listening to Aster Tekla discuss her research on the complexities of identity formation among Horn of Africa immigrant youth. Thanks for listening and join us again next time for more lectures and conversations on social work practice and research. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, Professor and Dean at the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about who we are, our history, our programs, and what we do, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. At UB, we are living proof that social work makes a difference in people's lives.